Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Have you ever been lost? You may have taken a wrong turn and got off trail. Soon night falls and you don't have any light to help guide you. Let's face it. On any given day, we encounter more darkness than we do truth. But God is whispering to us all the time, telling us which way to go. But sometimes the, the outside or the internal voices they fill our heads. But God does more than just whisper to us. He gives us light. His word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God loves us so much, He provides a way. His Word, only His Word is our lamplight. Won't you follow? God's Word is our lamplight. And before I dive more into that today, in terms of the scripture we're focusing on today, I want to highlight a couple things. First of all, just a couple weekends ago, on a Saturday morning, we had a time for child dedications. And I'll tell you what, I had the opportunity to be part of that. I don't know if we have any um, graphics or images of that, but here are some of the beautiful families uh, that were present that day, dedicating their children to the Lord. Such a powerful time. And, and I had the opportunity to ask uh, each parent, you know, why did you name your child the name that you did? And they had a chance really to, to share uh, with everybody the significance of their child's name. And it was beautiful and powerful. I, I raise this today because we have the opportunity as a church family to stand with them. Because these parents said, you know what, we are marking this moment and we are saying that we're going to raise our child up to honor the Lord. And as a church family, we then have the opportunity to stand alongside them and to equip them and help them to do that because we are all part of the family of God. So I just celebrate uh, these families, celebrate these children, and can you join with me in supporting uh, these families today? Absolutely. I also want to mention something coming up. Uh, you probably haven't heard about it. it it's called uh, November 8th uh, Voting. And uh, this is in our world today, in our culture today, an opportunity we have to vote. And I, you know what, we should really think about this. I was reading in scripture just recently and there was a verse that kind of jumped out to me as it relates to our country, I believe, as it relates to us as Christians more so. Proverbs 11:2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. You see, pride is not concerned with truth. Pride is always concerned with its objective and agenda. Pride will use half-truths or no-truths at all to get us to buy what it's selling. And so whenever we become part of that, we don't really display humility needed, and we just kind of jump aboard whatever we're hearing. We become part of the result of pride, which is disgrace. But the humble, the humble bring wisdom. And I say this today because pride is everywhere in our society today. 
And these agendas are coming from every conceivable direction. So many voices coming our way. And I want to encourage you. Instead of listening to whatever voice you're listening to, we just sang a song, God, I look to you. God, I look to you. Let us truly look to God. And in all humility, may we say that you know, if I vote this way, what am I voting for really? And does my vote truly honor the Lord? Friends, take part this week, but let's do so humbly and in ways that honor him. That's all I want to say about that. Well, you've likely seen this verse before, the one we're talking about today in someone's home, probably beautifully displayed behind glass, or perhaps, you know, your favorite motivational speaker used this verse and the power of these words and say, you know, this is applied to you or to your business. If you found yourself in a tough spot, right, maybe a friend or family member quoted this verse to you. If your bank account was on life support at some point in your lives, perhaps somebody in your life reminded you of these words, words which carry as much significance now as they did back then some thousands of years ago. What words am I talking about? Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. It's often quoted because it's a beautiful verse. It is a powerful verse, a hope-filled verse, especially written to you. Or was it? We're gonna find out. We're gonna take a look. We have to start by asking the question, who is the you that Jeremiah was referring to? Because he says, for I know the plans I have for you. Who's the you? I don't know how things operate in your home, but I'm usually the one to go out and get the mail. And, and so, you know, I remember we first moved here almost nine years ago now, right? In fact, it was nine years ago. And um, but just had my anniversary, nine-year anniversary. This is past week. Somebody reminded me. And um, <laughs> thankful for that. And so I go out to the mailbox. It's cold. It's like early December, and I run inside, you know, and, and I do what you always do when you get the mail, right? You throw your junk stuff over here. You don't even read it. And then you have your letters in this pile, you know, maybe your bills over here. And so I'm now reading the letters. You know, I want to see what they're saying to me. And there was one letter that caught my attention. It was from a law firm. And it stated, you know, that I was actually in trouble. And that if I didn't respond very, very quickly, if I didn't pay this large fine, I was heading to court and possibly to jail. And I'm just new here in Cincinnati. Welcome to Cincinnati, right? And, and so like I'm overcome with like shock. Like who do I owe this money to and how did I get into all this trouble? I've only been here like a month. So you're know, like, what's going on? And then I read the top of the letter again. It certainly had the right address, but it was actually written to the person who rented our home before we moved in. I was reading someone else's mail. Friends, when we read the words of Jeremiah 29, 11, we gotta do so carefully because in reality, this communication was written to someone else. Now, it doesn't mean that it doesn't hold any applications to our lives because it does, but in order to ascertain what those applications are, we have to understand who the original recipients were. And then we also have to examine the context, what was written before this verse and after this verse that helps us to know how to apply this verse. Well, in order to understand Jeremiah 29, we gotta go back at least one chapter, even more, but let's start with chapter 28 because this paints the picture for us. And I'll explain it, there's a lot going on. 
In the fifth month of that same year, the fourth year, early in the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, the prophet Hananiah, son of Azur, who was from Gibeon, said to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, here's the message. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, that's really easy to say, king of Judah, and all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So what's going on? What's going on? Well, there are two prophets here. They're beginning to spar with one another. The prophet Hananiah, the prophet Jeremiah. This disagreement now is taking place in the temple of Jerusalem. Now, this Jerusalem temple, you have to understand, had been completely kind of emptied out because the Babylonians had come and taken over the people and taken everything that was valuable in that temple along with them. So I want you to picture here complete desolation. The setting is incredibly dark and the people that are still there, they are living without hope. What started it all? Well, their sin, because sin always has a consequence. And in the face of this harsh reality, the prophet Hananiah delivers his quote-unquote lamp of truth, which he hoped would illuminate their future path. And here's what his light revealed. That within two years, everything that had been stolen would be brought back to the temple once again. Thousands of people who had been taken into slavery would be freed and brought back to live in peace and prosperity. So the reality that they once knew just a couple years ago would be completely restored in just two years. So put yourself in their shoes. I mean, this is like the news you wanted to hear. This is really good news. Sure, they'd faced incredible pain and loss. Thousands had died, families had been torn apart, but now in just two years, everything is going to be good again. No more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death. It's what you call great news. In fact, it was such great news that Jeremiah seemed to rejoice with what Hananiah said, at least at first. You see, friends, when life gets hard and pain runs really, really deep, we often want quick solutions to difficult problems. And for us who live in our microwave society, let's be honest, two years, that seems like a really long time. I mean, for us, two days seems like it's far too much to wait. It's why thousands of people once purchased the sauna suit. I mean, if you needed to lose weight, right, you didn't need to diet or exercise. All you needed to do was wear this kind of giant trash bag space suit as you engaged in your normal everyday life. You needed to wear it wherever you went, to work. After all, it was so attractive. And you know what? If you wore this suit, you would lose like 20 pounds overnight. Sounds like Hananiah to me. Or how about the ab lounger? Remember this? If you wanted a body rippling with muscles, you don't need to tackle endless sit-ups. Heavens, no, that's much too much work. All you need to do is sit back in this lazy boy recliner, kind of a chair, and when you naturally pull your knees up forward, you're gonna get abs of steel overnight. How many of you still have this in your basement somewhere? <laughs> and why does nobody have this? Because it didn't work. Sounds like Hananiah to me. Friends, we better be careful when others promise us quick solutions to difficult problems. 
Rather, as Christians, as we just talked about earlier, we need to consult God's holy word. Because your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So God's word again tells us that it's like a lamp. It serves to you know, give us just enough light to see our next step and then tells us how to take that next step. And yet in Hananiah's prophecy, no such steps were needed because God was doing all the work for them. He was like their sauna suit. And friends, it all sounded so good because the path Hananiah was lighting for them required nothing from them. No repentance, no obedience, no trust, but all the glory. But the prophet Jeremiah, he wasn't deceived, even though it appeared at first like he was. You see, in the previous chapter, chapter 27, going back one more, Jeremiah had previously warned God's people of people like Hananiah. He said, this is what the Lord says. Do not listen to the prophets who say, very soon now the articles from the Lord's house will be brought back to Babylon. And even earlier before that, in chapter 25, Jeremiah had stated that this whole country will become a desolate wasteland. And these nations will serve the kings of Babylon, how long? 70 years. But now in this moment, now fast forwarding into chapter 29, when Hananiah issued his false prophecy, Jeremiah seemed, at least on the surface, to rejoice because he said what? Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord fulfill the words you have prophesied by bringing the articles of the Lord's house and all the exiles back to this place from Babylon. Friends, there's no doubt that Jeremiah wanted, naturally, humanly wanted what Hananiah had prophesied. I mean, who wouldn't? A God who would respond that quickly and easily is exactly the kind of God we all want. And yet Jeremiah knew this was not the God they really needed. And so now imagine you're in this room and now Jeremiah's voice, his tone begins to shift. It begins to change. Some might call it a dose of wisdom mixed with a pound of reality. Nevertheless, he said, listen to what I have to say in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. From early times, the prophets who preceded you and me have prophesied war, disaster, and plague against many countries and great kingdoms. But the prophet who prophesies peace will be recognized as one truly sent by the Lord only if his prediction comes true. So you're going to know this is the real deal only if his prediction comes true. Back when I was 16... I went to this church. They actually had services on Sunday nights. Remember when we had Sunday night church for those who are, you know, older than me, right? How, how, you know, remember all that, right? Well, I went on this Sunday night service because I had a high interest in what was going to go on. Our pastor invited this kind of older man who was an evangelist and a healer. And he had stated that he was going to come and heal everybody who would show up that night to be prayed for. Everybody. And so I came on that night, not just to like sit in the back row and watch. I was sat in the second row, right in the middle, because I wanted to see everything. I wanted to hear everything that was being said. And so the healer got up front, and he invited everybody who needed healing. And I do believe that God heals today, but this is what happened in this story. And so we invited everybody to come up front who wanted healing. And then he said to stand in a straight line. And the key word was stand. He didn't want anybody kneeling. Everybody was to stand. Well, what he didn't realize is that there was this woman in a wheelchair who was coming up to be healed, and she didn't have any legs. 
And so she tried to comply and she got out of her wheelchair and she stood the best that she could on the little bit of legs that she had. But it looked like she was kneeling because she was so low. And so he comes over to her eventually. He's going to pray for her and the first thing he says to her is, stand up. And everybody's uncomfortable. And she looks up at him, didn't say anything. I'm watching this that's right in front of me. And then he looks at her again, stand up. And now the, the pastor runs behind. He's whispering in his ear. She doesn't have any legs. She's doing the best that she can. She can't stand up. And yet a third time, he looked at her in all frustration, said, stand up. And then he realized that he should, she couldn't stand up. And he looked out at the crowd and he said, okay, how many believe with me right now that after I pray, God is gonna grow her legs right here on the spot? And a golf clap could be heard throughout the room. They clapped as they did because like Jeremiah had stated, the prophet who prophesies peace will be recognized as one truly sent by the Lord only if his prediction comes true. And just as the woman did not receive new legs that night, those thousands of exiles would not return to their homeland within two years. Soon after that though, the Lord spoke to Jeremiah and told him the truth that Hananiah's get better quick plan was a sham. And so armed now with the truth, Jeremiah returns to Hananiah and he says, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, yet you have persuaded this nation to trust in lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I'm about to remove you from the face of the earth. This very year, you are going to die because you have preached rebellion against the Lord. But what have we learned? Only a prophet who says something that comes true is a real prophet. And that's why the Bible wastes no time at all in telling us in the seventh month of that same year, Hananiah the prophet died. Now, it's against this backdrop then of false promises that we open up the pages of Jeremiah 29. And when we open up those pages, what do we find? A letter, a letter. Remember that day I read someone else's mail? That letter was not written to me. So who was Jeremiah's letter actually written to? Verse one, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So just to clarify, this letter was written directly to the exiles. And what did it say? Well, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. But wait a second. I mean, Hananiah just promised everything is going to be normal in two years. And now this this new truth is coming, this is so radically different. Yes, that God was telling these exiles to settle down, build a life, build a home. Plant gardens, enjoy the bounty, have children and grandchildren. Why? Because many of those exiles would die of old age long before they would ever return to their homeland. And then the letter goes on to say, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. 
So God is telling them to desire good things for those who had persecuted and enslaved them. They were to seek good not just for themselves, but for everyone who dwelled within that city. Because if the captors prospered, they too would prosper. But that's not what they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear their troubles were over. They wanted to hear they're soon going home, right? They wanted to hear that winter was done and spring had finally sprung. And now God told them to stay exactly where they were and help prosper the very ones who had enslaved them. Plan B, anyone? I might want a plan B. A few applications for us along the way. First of all, if you're in a trial or maybe your future trial, it might last longer than you think. We want it to be over soon. It might last longer than you think. And if it does, God is still right there with you. He didn't go anywhere. He did not forget you. He is working even though you cannot see him working. So be faithful. And for all of us, we need to be careful who we listen to. This holds especially true in our political culture. I mean, even if someone tells you they heard directly from God, you need to take time to ascertain if what they heard was truly from God or their own maybe spiritual pride. And I think this is why God continued to warn them of potential Hananias in their lives that may be coming down the road. In verse eight, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. So in a nutshell, God told these exiles not to believe in anyone who tried to sell them a quick fix. Well, God had allowed the Babylonians to have authority over them for a long season of time. God was not speaking through these Babylonians. God was using them ultimately for his own purposes. And it's at this point then when God conveys this incredibly powerful verse that many have used out of context unknowingly. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Once again, since we've often misapplied the use with this verse, let's, let's read it again with a new understanding. For I know the plans I have for you, exiles, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, exiles, and not to harm you, exiles. Plans to give you, exiles, hope and a future. Certainly God loved these thousands and thousands of exiles. He had not forgotten them. He had a plan for them. He had a purpose for them. He had a future for them. And that is good news. But just before God spoke these promising words to them, God spoke another truth that we somehow stumbled over in all of our excitement. You see, just before he spoke Jeremiah 29, 11, God delivered this startling update in the previous verse. In fact, it wasn't an update in reality because it's something that Jeremiah had stated all the way back in chapter 25. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. You see, we've often read, I think, Jeremiah 29, 11 and thought, you know, what we view as good news to us is coming soon for us. God's gonna make our lives better quickly. But to the original audience, those words required a lot more patience and a lot more trust than that. They would actually have to wait 70 years for a better life. They would have to wait 70 years before they would ever experience the future that God had for them. And in the meantime, God was going to leave them right where they were. Friends, much like them, 
we have no conception of what God is aiming at. And as we go on, it gets more and more vague. God's aim looks like missing the mark because we are too short-sighted to see what God is aiming at. We need to trust him. And in Jeremiah 29, God is aiming at something 70 years down the road. And so whenever we take Jeremiah 29 and recontextualize it to mean he's aiming at something for us that's like a few days from now or a few weeks from now, we are reducing the aim of God to fit our own short-sighted expectations. Jeremiah 29, 11 is not about our immediate gratification It's about experiencing his goodness in the here and now as we trust in him and wait on him. And it's hard. What does that mean? It means that if we take our eyes off of our present circumstances, stop looking and focusing on that, if we remain faithful to honor the very ones who have dishonored us, remember Jesus would say, pray for those who persecuted him. If we stop looking for the Hananias in our lives to offer us an easy way out, we're gonna find so much more. That's why God said, then, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. And if we had time to read the rest of the story in the Old Testament, we'd find that God's word to them was exactly true, exactly faithful. These exiles did return to their homeland and and they received such blessing for a season. God is faithful. So then what lessons does this all hold for us? I think they're significant. First, God does not take sin lightly. God does not take sin lightly. The Israelites were sent into exile because God was punishing them for their sin of idolatry. In fact, it says people from many nations will pass by this city and will ask one another, why has the Lord done such a thing to this great city? And the answer will be, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and have worshiped and served other gods. Idolatry. When we hear that word, we think, you know what, that is such a thing of the past. I mean, we don't have little stone, little figures, you know, on our, our fire mantle that we, we kind of worship. We, we don't do that anymore. We don't have any idols. But how about our identity? How about our position at work? How about our following on social media? How about our looks or our reputations? How about the idols of our money and possessions? How about the idol of our entertainment? How about the idol of sex in our culture? It is significant. And even larger than that, I think, is the idol of our comfort, that we come first. And yet despite our pride, rebellion, and arrogance, second lesson, God is filled with grace and mercy. He's filled with it. See, God promised the exiles that although they had sinned, he would still heal and restore them because the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And so while we bask in the depth of God's grace and compassion in our lives, we'd also do well to understand something else, that God is sovereign over all things and all kings, that God knows what he's doing. He is in control 
And he's gonna use whatever means necessary, even rulers and those in authority to fulfill his divine will and his divine purposes. God is sovereign. We need to hold on to that in the middle of our struggle. You see, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And every moment that he's working, God is faithful to keep his promises. Even though time passes and the patience of people runs short, God is not short to keep his word. He promised the exiles they would return home, and they did. So know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. And this truth should remind all of us of something really important. That God desires those who show him love through their ongoing obedience. God desires those who show him love through their ongoing obedience. This means that we don't look for a quick fix to our situation. We trust in God. We look to his word. And he's going to restore all things according to his way, his will, and his time. Jesus said, you know, if you love me, keep my commandments. So bottom line, God's plan for you unfolds as you obey him. Think about that. God's plan for you unfolds as you obey him. So what does your next step of obedience look like? What does your next step of obedience look like? Yes, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Friends, may we trust God for our next step so that we can see the true path he is lighting for us. In fact, I think it'd be good for us to take a look at someone right here in our church who has done and continues to do just that. Take a look. I can honestly say that I've never been in more pain. I've never felt more anguish. I've never felt more anger because I just felt like, you know, I poured 34 years of my life into this relationship, into our family, to raising our kids. And one of the worst parts was that it came at a particularly terrible time. We were in the midst of a custody battle for a young boy that we had gotten through to know through our daughter. It was excruciatingly painful because I was going through all of my own emotions, plus I had the responsibility of this child. And I thought, how am I gonna do this? How can I do this? And again, of course, I turned to the Lord and I said, Lord, I don't get this. You know, this is not what I signed on for. This is not what we promised, you know. Um, but really, a lot of what I did was just put one foot in front of the other. I wasn't angry with God, but I questioned God because I had this feeling of, and I said to him sometimes out loud, God, I've done everything you've asked me to. You know, I've checked off all the boxes. I raised my kids in church. You know, they accepted the Lord as their savior. I, uh, you know, have tried to serve at my church. I've tried to help other people. And I remembered one of my favorite verses, which was Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to help you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And I thought, well, where's my hope? Where's my future? I read a little further, 
you know, past verse 11 and verse 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I, I questioned myself, I said, you know, have you been seeking him with all your heart? Is that what you've been doing or have you been busy checking off the boxes? And I came to a point where I just, I would talk to God probably constantly, most days, except when I was at work. And I would say, well, God, what about this? Is this what you want for my life? How can I manage this? How can I keep from hating him? How can I diffuse the anger? How can I not be critical of everything he's doing or not doing? And I gradually moved away from, you know, all that negativity. And I still remember the feeling that day that I told God and I told my best friend and I told myself, you know, I'm done with hating, I'm done with anger, I'm done with all of it. I'm gonna go forward the very best that I can with God's help. And I had this incredible feeling. It was almost, I mean, it was really in my heart, in my soul. But even when I walked that day, I felt lighter. You know, like I had a spring in my step. And it was just such an incredible feeling. And it took, it took years, really, to grieve that death. And, and there are times when I still grieve it. There are times when I say to God, you know what, God, that still hurts. That still hurts that someone was willing to just throw all that in the trash. But he's still there. He's there and he says, you know, there's gonna be a part of you that maybe always has a little bit of that hurt, but I'm here. Having been through that really most difficult time really gives me a much better perspective because in the past I would have said, oh, I can't do this, I can't do this. And now I say, well, God, you've got this, you know, I don't know how it's gonna work out, but I know that you're God and you're always gonna be there for me no matter what, no matter how many times I've failed, no matter how many times I've doubted you, you're still there and you are my sovereign God. I think about it really as, as a triumph of hope Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.